0: The yeah, Gospel of John. So new year, new book. Tim was uh, uploading some stuff, I think, on YouTube and was asking me, do you remember when you started that? And I went, went and researched, and I think Revelation we started. I think it took us two years to go through that, and so we'll see how long John takes us. But as we go a uh, book at a time, verse at a time, uh, meditating on what God has for us in his word. So uh, John is writing to us for the reason that we might believe. We saw that. We jumped to the end of the book last week, and we saw that, that he kind of told us the purpose that he's written these things, so that we might believe, and if we do believe, to strengthen our faith. And so, that's what we hope to do as we go through the Gospel of John, to strengthen our faith, to shore up those things that we might have not known so much on, or to kind of bolster it, to to make sure that we have that firm foundation. You know, they have the Gospel boots. You know, it's a good, firm footing to stand and be able to withstand the wiles of the devil with. And so, it's... Um, Faith builder. That's what this is going to be. It's a time for us to go through and build our faith. We're in a world where darkness seems to get bolder and bolder each and every day. Uh, the number one cause of death last year, shockingly, was not COVID. It was abortion. You know, and so something that's perfectly stoppable, something that you know could be eradicated around the world with this decency. And the world who says, "Oh, they want everything for life." Well, it's nothing to do with that. So, yeah, we need to fight against the darkness. We need to resist evil, and it will flee. We are the change agents. We are the what? Uh, the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and while we are here, we are to be the one who restrains evil. We're the ones that hold it back. We're the ones that say no. We're the ones that stand up and speak, especially for those who are silent and those who can't speak. And you know, So we need to be bold for the gospel of Christ, and so we're trying to increase our boldness here. Uh, he's writing to show us, also that Jesus is divine, that is the point of his. You know, Matthew shows us that Jesus is the king, Mark is that he is the servant, Luke tells us that he is human, you know, 100% man, but John is to tell us that he is divine, that he is God in the flesh, lest we just try to write him off as of some good teacher, or, or, or try to just bring him down to just his humanity, no, he's 100% God and 100% man. Uh, Jesus is the perfect Goel, or the kinsman redeemer for us, the one who could stand in the gap, And uh, be our high priest, our representative, our paraclete, uh, as he represents us before God the Father. And so, he starts out with uh, chapter 1, giving us Jesus' origins. Uh, I guess his origin is just that he always was, that he always is. Before the beginning, before the before, before anything, Jesus, the Word, was already there. Look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is a book I recommend to new believers, uh, they get born again, and I, and I would encourage you to read the Gospel of John, because it shows you your Savior. It gets down to who He is, so that you know who it is that you're with, and here, verse 1 starts with us, that He was, and that He was there in the beginning. Jesus here is the Word, uh, the Word is Jesus. Uh, you can't separate the two. Matter of fact, in John, he'll tell us before he uh, is crucified and goes up at the Last Supper, he tells, as he prays in his high priestly prayer, he says, God, I have presented to them all the words that you've given me. He's literally the word that he came down and delivered all the words that he was to speak so that we would have them completed in his Bible so that we could study. And so he does deliver the word because he is the word. He is the Logos. Matter of fact, the Old Testament, they kind of even saw him as a God, as the word of God, you know, that he is the word of God made flesh. And before the beginning, Jesus was, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus is God. It says right there, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, and He still is. That's how He introduces us to Him in Revelation. He was, and is, and is to come. And He's the one who continues. He does not change. And so, I think that's a pretty good way to start out a book. Talk about grabbing your attention. Let me tell you about the beginning. No, let me tell you about the beginning before the beginning. He was there, the Word, Jesus Christ was there. We see two parts of the Trinity in verse 1. We see God the Father and God the Son, who is the Word, uh, before anything was that they were there and they are the creators. The Holy Spirit is there too, but He never takes the center sinner's spotlight. He's always one pointing to them. He's always one, look to Jesus, and Jesus points to the Father. And so uh, the Holy Spirit's there, He's moving, He's working, uh, but He never makes a big deal about Himself. And so uh, He is implied in the text. And so I think that's a big first statement for John to start out with. So he restates it. You know, it was Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. And so he restates it for us in verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God. So he's there. Uh, Jesus Christ was God and he was in the beginning with God. So Jesus has always been and Jesus always will be. There's no taking him off the throne. He's the one who's the creator who started all this. Verse 3 tells us about that beginning. Verse 3, all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. It tells us that he's the beginning. He is the creator of the world. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. He's creator. He's the one who made it all. I can't think of this text, and my mind doesn't automatically go to Colossians, and so I want to turn there. And so I even have a note inside of my Bible that I've written there, Colossians 1. So let's, let's look at Colossians chapter one. Colossians 1, Speaking of Jesus. it uses a lot of the same terminology as John is using in chapter one but I think of Colossians 1.16 when I think about him being the creator. Colossians 1.16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist again, it kind of gives us more of the detail. Not only is Jesus the creator, because I tend to think of uh, the creator making the creation everything that we see. You know, I think of the coming around the corner at answers and Genesis there and the Creation Museum. And you see the garden and all that is there. Or we've seen the, the different videos from uh, different producers that have put out Christian videos. You know, the, the planets and, and the sun and everything coming into being and being created and laid out there. This tells us and John tells us that before any of that began, Jesus is the one who creates all this, and he not only creates everything that we see, He creates everything that you and I don't see. Uh, everything that we, everything that is invisible. He creates everything on earth, which my mind can kind of wrap around. Oh, He made the rocks, He made the trees, He made the birds, He made the bees, you know, and so all that, and yeah, I rhyme in my mind. You know, so as I go through all that, I can think about making the creation. It's physical, it's tangible, it's real, I, I see it. I don't often meditate or think on him making everything that I don't see, that everything in heaven and as wondrous and splendorous as it is, that He made all that too, and so He He made all that before He made all this, because the sons of God and Job thirty-eight were there and shouting for joy as He made all the rest of this, and so He made everything in heaven, including all the spiritual beings and their ranks, and that's what's kind of linked to here in Colossians 1.16, that He made the different thrones, that He made dominions, and He put people in those ranks he's like uh you're going to be on this throne and you're going to rule over this and your dominion is going to be that and he makes those who are in charge over this you're going to be a principality and here's the things that you will will do over and here are the, the different powers that you have and he bestows them upon them and so all those supernatural beings before they fell Jesus Christ had made all them he is their origin and so he made all that I think also you know when I think of it on a grand scale and I think of it on a small scale too that he not only made all the ranks of the supernatural beings, but he also made the atoms that make up everything. He makes the planets that are big, and he makes the atoms that make everything. He made the stars, he made the flora, he made the fauna, he made the fish and the beasts, the birds, the bugs. Uh, He made the germs and the cells and our DNA that has so much information in it. We find out more and more and more. I I, uh, found a picture uh, that came around on the internet, and I think it was in December, and it was like, Here's a picture of the simple cell, and it's like a massive city complex, you know, with things being delivered and stuff taken here and proteins going there, and you watch it if you've seen an animated version. It's a very complicated process, you know, they have to slow it down because things are moving so fast, and it's like, oh, so much for a simple cell that they thought was just a glob with the early telescope. No, this is a very high and complex creation that we have, even down in the visible level. So no, he was there. He made all the things on the grand scale, and he made everything on the micro scale. He's involved in it all. is a part of all the work. Our Savior, who did so much for you and I on the cross, did all this at the creation too, because you can't separate him from the Father. And so uh, they made all this. He's in charge of making it consist. That is usually the, the word that I think of at the end of verse 17. By him all things consist. He holds it all together. Nothing is flying apart. There's not a a rogue neutron in the universe Jesus Christ is in charge of everything when things are flying across the sky and hitting the earth or things are are happening this way or that he knows he's in charge he created it all he knows it all he knows what's going on it's not past him it's not a shock to him it's not a surprise He's in charge of these things. He started many of these things in advance. You know, the comets and meteors and all the things that are happening. We're in the middle of a good meteor shower right now. It was just cloudy last night with the peak. It was also cold. So I'm like, hey, there's a big meteor shower. I think we'll stay inside. Because <laughs> so, it was cold and cloudy. But its uh, he's in charge of all this. He knows. He made it all. Sometimes that's humble to, to think about. But Jesus Christ, from the stories that we read about and we will read about in John, this is him. This is the power that he has. And how people treat him. How people disrespect him. I think it brings into light, you know, the verses of how he humbled himself. That he would come into his own and let him treat him like that. Back to John. Verse 3. all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. He has that power. He is the creator. He is the author of life. I often like thinking of him like that. I like books. I listen to a lot of books. I've read books, and as the older I've got, I had less time to read, and so I listen to a lot of books. I try to redeem my time and and listen to things, and I listened on a pretty broad spectrum to try to get a good fill of everything. I generally, if i was going to get something I like, it's just sci-fi usually, or something, it's just something fantastic and time travel, or something like that, but. I I often, I like a good book that has one of those things where you can think about it later, a good story, or like, ooh, afterwards, man, what good foreshadowing in the beginning, and and we saw this coming, and oh, then this was here, and that was revealed, and the more you think about it, you're like, I'm impressed with a lot of movie makers that kind of lay down that kind of groundwork too, and I'm like, man, the author, the one who knows and writes these things in the beginning that is there, he is the author of this, he brings it to life, he puts the pen to page and makes it come about, Jesus Christ is life. We know that from later in the book. He quotes that to us, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But here he tells us right at the beginning: He is life and light. Verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He created life. We've seen that. Verse 3. He maintains life by it. It consists. He holds it together. He makes sure there's oxygen. He makes sure the atoms don't fly apart. He makes sure that the stars and the planets don't fly apart. You know, uh, Science is always confused. There must be so much dark matter to hold all these things because there's not enough stuff in the universe to hold all the stuff in its place. But there must be something that holds it together. And I'm like, yeah, Colossians 1.17. Jesus Christ holds it all together, keeping it all there. And I think that's when my brain often goes to that verse. That He created life and He maintains life. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now we think about him being a carpenter and fixing and repairing things and the work that he'd have. And I've often thought about is as like you know, something that Jesus Christ worked on, is it still there? You know, did, he doesn't do shoddy work, you know, so it's probably still holding up. The joints are still working and it is there. And, you know, we just don't know it. And I'm thinking, this creation is. We've done our best to try to destroy it, it seems like. Yet it can recover. It always amazes me. Have you ever looked. Nagasaki or Hiroshima, you know, where we dropped an atomic bomb and and see how lush and green it is, you know, that the world can recover from that, that God's creation can reclaim. Uh, When we bought our house, there was an old road that they tried to make a road down, but I don't know of too many regular vehicles that would have made it up that road. So they decided it was dangerous and they blocked it off. So I'm glad they blocked this road off. And uh, if you walked over there now, uh, you wouldn't know that there was ever a road there, unless I pointed out and kind of showed you some of the things, you know, the... Nature's reclaimed claimed it and said, let's erase mankind there. They've almost taken the culvert out that's at the bottom. And so creation, you know, God's creation is strong. It's mighty. Life fights and wins. He's the source of life. In him was life. The source of life was the light of men. He's the source of life and light. We think of light It you was know, a term of uh, things being exposed to us, open to us. We see it come out of the darkness into the light, you know, show us, expose these things, bring it into the light is what we want. That's one of the things that their ideas are are for on Wednesday is that they think some declassified things will be brought to light, you know, things that have been in secret will be made public, you know, that uh, the nation will know about it. And so it's one of those things we still use that term, things that were in the dark will be brought to light. So if we think about this in Jesus Christ, who is the life and the light of men, Without Him, without the life and the light, we are dead and in darkness. We are dead and in darkness. And then we use those phrases, come to the light. You know, when our revelation comes, we understand who he is. We've come to the light. Uh, we were blind, but now I see. We sing "An Amazing Grace, right? You know, I was blind. I was in darkness. I couldn't see. But then I met him, and my eyes are open, and now i come to the light. I can see. Um, we talk about my eyes being open that are there. Literally, Paul acts that for us, right? There's scales on his eyes that fall off, and he can then see that Jesus is the Christ. Why persecute you, me? He says, and he goes out and, and fights for him. On and on, the idioms that we use about having our eyes open, our understanding going from the darkness to light, that things were made alive in our minds to see Jesus Christ as that. He's the one who gives us the light, shows us the truth. The crazy thing is that the Creator, the one who made all this life and the one who brought the light to bring all these things, came into His creation and the creation couldn't comprehend Him. We couldn't relate to Him. That's what verse 5 is. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The light is so different that darkness couldn't see it. You know, you ever come out of the darkness into the light? You know, it's hard. You just can't walk into it. You know, you have to ease into it. Like. You know, if you're laying in bed and your wife's like time to get flip on like, light. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, give me some warning there. You know, before you have that light that just shines in your eyes. Or they pull the curtains back, you know, we're on vacation. Pull it back and all of a sudden the ocean sunrise is right there blasting in your face. You're like, I need a little time to prepare for this, you know. Can you imagine the light of the world came into darkness? Couldn't see it. They turned their eyes. They, they couldn't accept it. It's so foreign to them. They couldn't even comprehend it. It's so different. It's called... Um, Cognitive dissonance, you know, that, that the truth is so shocking that your brain can't relate to it that you don't even see it or you'll block it out or ignore it. That's something that they worry about in this world, that if they try to just tell you something, that if it's so shocking that most people would just not accept it and reject it and, and keep the, uh, the unreality that they have and because it's acceptable and they know and so because it's so different. God knew we were that way. He made us. That he would be so foreign, so other so outside of the norm that we wouldn't be able to register. So when Christ comes, He plans for that. Because we're in darkness and Jesus is the light. And we know darkness, we don't know the light, and so it seems so foreign, so scary when that bright light would be there, so different, so other, that they couldn't relate. There's a line in the TV series called uh, The Chosen that's not a Bible verse. That's become one of their phrases. I think it's on their t-shirts. I think they sell, I think there's some bumper stickers they have with it. But I think it's a concept about Jesus that I think it's a fitting and that it's appropriate because it becomes kind of like a running line throughout the show. That Jesus Christ is so unlike other men, so like unlike any other Jew that they've ever dealt with, not like any other rabbis that they've ever had uh, teach them. He is so other. He is so not normal. Not what they are used to. He is so unique and so different that the chosen writers have Jesus say, "Get used to different." You know, there's a phrase that they have, like, "You're different." Get used to different. You know, I am turning things on its head. Uh, and so, like I said, it's not a Bible verse, but I think it's based on the Bible. I, I can make it. I can make it preach. I just did. Uh, and so, <laughs> get, get, get used to different. He's going to love. And we're going to watch love display in the Gospel of John so different than we'd seen before. You know, they're used to condemnation. They're used to judgment. They're used to someone yelling, you're not like us, get away! You know, we don't accept. We reject is kind of what we're used to. He is going to teach forgiveness like they've never experienced before. Woman, where is your accuser? There's none here. Well, neither do I. You know, someone who's pleading our case, someone who's sympathetic to our cause, someone who's come to reconcile us to the Father. So different. You know, so different. I don't want our church to be different that way. I think we are. I want to make sure we maintain that. I don't want to be a judging church. You know, It saddens me when you hear the missionaries talk about in Haiti that people would go to church and that the preachers would turn them away at the door because you don't have the right kind of shoes on or the right kind of pants. Sad. That's not what he intended. I understand maybe where their thought came from and it's got twisted, but no, we we want to accept. You know, have them come in and hear the gospel. Jesus Christ is going to teach like we've never heard before. Those are some of my favorite passages when the enemies of Jesus, you know, have tried to trap him and they bring it up and they usually go away. You know, praise like, and they dare not ask him any more questions. You know, they go around and it's like we're not going to bring this up anymore. It's like, never a man has spoken like him. No one has ever answered like that. When he's 12 years old, he has all the teachers confounded, right, at the temple. And they're all sitting around and listening to him. What about this? What about that? And he's just like, and I'm just a kid, you know, and, and teaching him because he's so different. Get used to different with Jesus Christ. He's right before their eyes. He's going to do these things. Miracles. Miracles happened around Jesus. And John told us at the end of this gospel that we saw last week, he says, if I wrote them all down, I don't think the world could contain the volumes. What all did he do? I know, I'm flabbergasted at what he did. He never went to a funeral if the person stayed dead. <laughs> I'd invite that guy to a funeral. <laughs> it's like if he's going to raise them up, right? He never visited a sick person that stayed sick. A blind man who stayed blind. A demon-possessed person that he didn't drive them out. The weather. He controlled the weather. Invite this guy to your picnic, right? He controlled the weather. He could make it stop raining. He could do all that. Other. Terrified them. Because he's other. He's not different. He's not what we're used to. The winds and the waves obey him. Never a man spoke as this. The zeal He has for the temple. Think of the thing the disciples say as they reflect on this. Later, these things were brought up to them as they would play it into the Bible verse. He is different. To watch a miracle right before your eyes. A lame man walk. A blind man whom the hometown knew that could see. Shocking. He's still that kind of miracle worker. He can take someone in the darkness and bring him into life. He could take a dead sinner and give them life. He could take a lost person and make them found. He could take one of us sinners and make us a saint. Man, same Jesus, working the same way. John's like, I want to tell you about him. I traveled with him for three years. (laughs) I want to give you some inside baseball here about what's happening. So he is so other. He is so other, and God knew that he was so other, and he knew us. And he knew we'd have that cognitive dissonance. We're like, I can't accept this. And my brain, I don't know how to relate. There's too much, you know, system overload. System overload shut down. Not seeing this, you know, whatever it is, where you just can't see it and can't relate. That's going to be so hard to grasp. That God knew He would have to prepare the people. And that's kind of some thought, you know, that you sometimes you have to show people a long time, and then you can tell them. Or sometimes you lay down and you ease things in. In marketing, it's like first you have to tell them. And then you have to tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. <laughs> yeah, so tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them, then tell them what you told them, and, and tried to put this in. And so it's kind of a, a teaching principle that is there. God knows this. He's the one who invented us. You know, he, He's the one who knows these things. And so for them to be able to accept Jesus Christ and relate to him and, and come out of the darkness into the light to understand the life giver, the creator that is there among them, he sent them familiar first. He had to send them something normal, something to point him out. If not, the world would miss him. And there's several times we have that, even from the enemies in the New Testament accounts here in the Gospels, where the enemies will bring out something that you and I would miss, you know, but they'll make a big deal about and it's there to kind of help us not miss it, because we just read on past it. And so uh, God does that here at the very outset. He says, I'm going to send my son, and he's going to come down, But I don't want them to miss him, so I'm going to send a forerunner first. In God's wisdom, he sends this forerunner. And matter of fact, they had been watching and they had been waiting. The Old Testament ends in the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. says that he will send this forerunner like Elijah, who's going to turn the hearts of the parents one towards another. He's going to be one that wakes them up. And so when John the Baptist comes onto the scene, it's like he walked off the pages of the Old Testament. It's like he's like um, stereotypically dressed. You know, they wrap him in rough clothes and he eats the locusts, you know, and he's out in the wilderness and he says the brash and loud things and uh, the whole town will walk miles to go see him. You know, what is going on? It sounds like an Old Testament prophet. It's been 400 years silent. Wait a minute, is this Zachariah's son? The one who went into the temple, said he saw an angel, couldn't speak afterwards? That thing was done on a public display. The thought is that after. Uh, so there was Elijah, and then he left his mantle to Elisha. And then when Elisha died, his mantle, they think, was placed at the altar inside the, the Holy of Holies. And the theory is uh, we, we can't go to a Bible verse and point it out, but the theory was is that Gabriel told um, Zechariah to take it, and that John the Baptist actually wore the, the mantle of Elijah. And so. I don't know if that's true or not. I like to think of it. I'm like, yeah, I think that sounds pretty neat. It seems like something that God would do. Um, but it's there, and, and there are some nuances and some reasons they think that. So that's neat to think about. And so he sends a witness. Before Jesus Christ is just introduced on the world, he sends a witness to get them ready. So that's verse 6. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man which cometh into the world. John, we call him John the Baptist, because he baptized. So this was to prepare the way. Like I said, Malachi had sent the warning, you know, that the next thing that happened will be the forerunner. The forerunner comes right on time, uh, just before him, and prepares the people, gets them thinking about these things coming. Has 400 silent years, now there's a prophet. There's a prophet speaking in the wilderness. There's one that is crying out. They had to be searching the scripture. They had to be looking at these things. They had to be investigating. The whole town was going out. Uh, We have the accounts in the Gospels that they have to send out the Pharisees, and they send out uh, the scribes to go and account and test him and see what he's about. And so they're going out to look into these things uh, to prepare them for the Messiah. And we know later that when Jesus tells the parable of the vine dresser, the vineyard owner, that... They knew that he was the heir, and they wanted to kill him. It was just out and out rebellion. But he's speaking to all of us, and so he sends out John. He was not the Messiah, but he was to point to the Messiah. He was to wake people up. He would be the earthquakes in diverse places, the wars and rumors of war, the famines, the the strange things in the sky with meteors and the space weather that we now monitor that we've never had when I was in school. But it's now a thing. We have all these different things. The things to wake us up like something is going on, a pandemic around the world. That was the John the Baptist of that time. He was the one uh, that really showed uh, what was happening, to make sure they didn't miss him, to point him out, to connect the dots. Oh, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, the points to Him. He was to uh, get us, I guess, because we're a little dense, hit us upside the head in case we would miss Him. Hey, this is Him. Just to open our eyes. Look at verse 8. He was not that light, but He was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world And the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. John's point in writing all this is to point us to Jesus coming into the world to save mankind. That if we would receive Him or put Him on, that we would be like Him. Or that we would become a Christian. But man, they had a hard time getting Him. He's wanting them to be received. His own rejected Him. They received Him not. They were against Him. We know that He was not accepted by His own brethren until after the resurrection. We know that those in the town were like saying, you know, they never heard a prophet come from Nazareth. You know, it's like they were against him every time he spoke and taught. You know, they were throwing things back in his teeth. You know, so he was just it's a hard road to hoe. So he have John as a witness, and we told you that uh, John's going to show us seven witnesses. John gives us a testimony that this is who he says he is, and he's the first one that starts out a big portion here of First uh, John chapter one will tell us about John the Baptist. Now, right now, this is still kind of the preamble. This is the the setting us up for the story. He wants us to receive him. Most don't. And I was thinking about that when it uses the word receive, verse 12, but as many as received him, them he gave the power to become the sons of God. And I was thinking about just coming off Christmas that, you know, the inn had no room to receive him. Oh, we're all full up. Lowly stable did. I think that kind of reflects the world, you know. The big and the high and the important and the mighty, they, they don't have time for Him. But the lowly, the hurt and the desperate, the outcast on the edge of society, those are a little dirty. They have room to receive Him. So we need to be like that stable, ready to receive Him. Most didn't have room, but those who had their eyes open did. They saw Him. And they embraced Him. and They took Him in as the Savior that He was. They see the light. Verses 12, But as many as received Him To them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. It says that when you do believe on him, that you become a son of God. That is a special creation of God. uh, Sons of God, that's a term for the angels. That's a term for uh, the supernatural beings. That's a term for Adam. When we look through the account of the genealogy in Luke, they got to the end that Adam was a son of God. He was made by God. That's how, I guess, radical... Being born again is that you become a son or daughter of God. That God makes you new. You're a new creation. We call it being born again. It's a fresh start. You're starting over. The old you has passed away. The new you is there. He takes out your heart of stone and gives you this heart of clay. He changes us. He makes us different. He transforms us. We become a special creation of God. He transforms us. So do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? John's writing this so that we will that he is God in the human flesh, that's a big pill for some people to swallow. I got to accept the the divinity of Jesus Christ? Yeah, you can't just leave him as a man. Jesus Christ doesn't give you that option. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, tackles that very well, liar, lunatic, or Lord. You either have to call him a liar, because Jesus Christ claimed that he was God in the flesh. Or if you say that, okay, he did say he was God in the flesh, but he was a lunatic. Did he act like a lunatic? Was he a crazy person? Did he go around being crazy, unstable, or is he the most stable and the most sane person that was ever here that made us all look like we were insane? So he's either a liar, you have to dismiss him as a liar, you have to say he's crazy. He's a lunatic, uh, because I'm sure if you went to Valla Vista or someplace up here, you'd probably find some people that claim to be savior or something like that. You know, there, there's probably those with those complex that think they're Napoleon and think that they're Caesar and everything else. You know? you know, so there's a liar or a lunatic, or the third option that C.S. Lewis put before us was that he's Lord. He is who he says he is. He's either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. He doesn't leave you with any other option. You either have to believe He is who He says He is or dismiss Him as a liar or say that He is crazy, that He is a lunatic. No, He said and claimed to be and demonstrated time and time again, even though we had trouble um, accepting it. They've written it here for us so that we could study these things, that He was God in the human flesh. John says that He was in the beginning. He was there, and He's the one who created all these things. He came into His own creation. The world rejected Him. But it's still him, if you come to light, he'll make you a son of God. He'll be a new creation. He is the creator and the sustainer of everything. So do you know that you're a sinner? One who's broken God's laws? This is what makes us right to be able to receive this. This is what gives us the hope to look for a Savior when we realize that we can't save ourselves, that we are desperate, that we are lost, that we are like all men, most miserable. There's nothing that can help us. I can't save myself. Do you ever think back about to the time when you got saved, when you were born again? Do you ever think about the old you before then? What it was like? How you were different? And then when the Lord started working on your heart, started drawing you to Him, do you remember that transformation when light bulbs began to come on? When you realized that you were a sinner and all of a sudden you realized that hell would be just and that you would deserve it? And if God sent you there, I remember that last week as a 13 year old boy. I remember those thoughts. I remember thinking, if I died, I'd go to hell. And I'm like, God would be right. I can't argue. I couldn't do anything. And it's upsetting to think that. I remember we watched the movie A Thief in the Night, and that if the rapture happened, I'm like, I'd be left behind. I'm a 13 year old kid. I don't have a job. I can't drive. How am I going to take care of myself? I live in the country. And at that time, I think there was even a store, maybe Brown or whatever it was called downtown. There was a, used to be a little market there across from the elementary school. It's like, I don't have any money. I was like, what, what would I do? Where would I go? You know, do I know how to get to my aunts and uncles? I just remember being worrying about all those logistic things. What would 13 year old Brian do? Cause, cause the rapture happened and my parents are gone and I'm left here. What would I do? All that, it would be just and it would be right. I fought, and I wrestled. What do I do? What do I do? Because, you know, you want to save yourself, right? You want to you show that you're clean, and you're just, and you're good, and, you, and surely, God, you tried to argue with yourself, like, well, surely he would let me in, and surely he wouldn't leave me here, but I was like, no, I He really wouldn't. I know who I am. I know what I've done as a 13-year-old boy. I know that I'm lost. I know that I'm not like him. I know that I'm not acceptable. But man, that good news is good news. When you find out that Christ died for sinners, that he's come to save those which are lost, that he came to help the sick, to be the doctor that would heal the sick, that he would save me. Even when I say the phrase, hallelujah, what a Savior, I'm thinking, hallelujah, what a Savior. That we have someone that would do that, that would save us, that would come down and enter into our creation, be rejected and mocked and scorned. And that he would suffer on the cross and not only just take the wrath of those evil guys that were there that day that dealt out death daily, Roman guards trained in it, at the urging of the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, upset town that was just mad for that day because somebody comes along in the crowd and stirs them up, give us Maribas, kill him! Just for entertainment or sport or spite. But to know that as he hung there, Those sins that I had committed, he was suffering for. You ever think of that? The things that you had done, the sins that you committed, the things that had separated you between your God and Him that was going to send me away to hell forever. That He took the wrath. That God did the suffering in my place. And at the end of the day, He said, "It's finished." He was buried. And three days later, he rose victorious. Have you repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus? Have you understood that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, that you're a breaker of a law, that you're guilty before a holy God? The just judge of the universe would not be bribed, he would not be swayed, he would not be twisted, he would not be manipulated and delayed into heaven. But he did get his son. To die in your place. Man, what a savior. But the creator of the universe would enter into this creation to rescue me? That's a story. <laughs> That's the author of life. That's one who comes down and he seeks you out. He sends a forerunner through John the Baptist. But I lived in the 1970s then, and he sent my parents. And he sent an aunt. And he sent my Sunday school teachers. And he sent a preacher. And he sent those words going out to us. The drawings in my Sunday school room. The stories that were told. The things that were drawing me in. I had many witnesses. Aunts at other churches. Cousins that were born again. Stories that they told. Many witnesses. So I could take this in and there. I had more than just John the Baptist had those family around me. Have you seen those witnesses? Have you been brought to that point where you realize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? Have you been transformed to a son or daughter of God? You've been born again. That's why John's writing this. That's what John the Baptist is going to testify about. He is who he says he is. He is God in human flesh come to reconcile us to the world. He's risen from the grave. He's coming back to get us. I'm going to stop at verse 13. Because verse 14 has a lot to think about. I don't want to rush it in five minutes, and so we'll save it for next week. But if you've not repented and trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, do so today. God loved you enough that He sent down His Son. These are phrases that we say. These are verses that we quote, but John just fleshed it out. The Creator God of the universe entered into his, His creation. I played a lot as a kid. I play a lot as an adult. For Christmas, I got toys. And I was happy. But uh, Elaine and I started uh, collecting uh, some of our old Fisher Price toys, and we got a, a few more new ones added to our set. And I can remember as a kid, you know, playing through the windows. When I look at those stickers today that are inside there, I'm like, I remember playing that, you know, taking your little people and playing all that. And like, oh, if I could only just be small and get inside this little house, and I'd be able to ride this car and go down this ramp and do all that. And I did it vicariously through my little peg people, you know, (laughs) that would play around in there. So it's easier for my mind to say that God said, I'm entered into my creation. I will teach them. I will show them. I will win them. I'll pay the fine for them and lead them out. It's not a leap for me. (laughs) So my brain's already jumped off that cliff. And so God has done that, that he entered into his creation to rescue us. Hallelujah. What a savior. So we're going to go through John and we're going to learn more about him, appreciate him. That's what I hope to do. I hope to appreciate him more and I hope to get you to appreciate him more. That the creator of the universe became a man to suffer and die in our place so that we could be born again. Hallelujah, what a save.